Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. We've been talking about the five shifts that are happening in the body of Christ in 2016. And if you haven't been here over the last number of weeks and you just want to do a quick catch-up and you're taking notes, all these shifts are found in the Gospel of John. There are five stories in John that are unique to John. And they're revelations that God gives to people that have hearts that are hearts of, that of love. They're for lovers of God that begin to see what God's doing. John had unique insight into dimensions of God that others didn't see. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a casual observer. I want to know what the Spirit of God is doing in the church right now. I don't want to be wondering, reactive. My prayer is, God, show me what you're doing in this world. Show me what you're doing in the church. I want to be part of your economy. I want to know what you're doing. I want to be in on the partnership. Anybody else? And so we said the first shift that was happening was in John 2, that God was redeeming the time. Do you remember the story where he brings uh, the new wine to the the wedding that's run out of wine? And I asked the question, why would Jesus give the best wine to a pack of drunks? Why would you waste the greatest wine on people that really didn't know the difference? And I believe the, the reason was that it was, it was a picture of the wine that Jesus was bringing to those that had lost hope. Remember, it says in Ephesians that we are to redeem the time for the days of evil. And he goes on to say, don't be drunk with wine that leads to excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and he says, don't be unwise, but know the will of the Lord. So the wine of the Spirit comes to give us an understanding of the times, to redeem the times, to make us understand the will of the Lord. And what happens is the enemy has come against the church, in fact, against all the world, and he has stolen things that belong to us. And a drunk is one that is living in regret. Things have gone wrong in the past, and so they've turned to alcohol as a way to medicate their sorrow and their hopelessness. And so when we engage with the Spirit of God, he begins to rewrite our history and redeem everything that the enemy has stolen. If he has stolen relationships, finances, whatever it is off you, this is a season that God is redeeming everything that's been stolen. Has anyone had anything stolen? Just a few. Well, whatever's been stolen, the Bible says that it has to be repaid seven times. So this is a shift that's happening in the body of Christ that he's going to redeem everything. And instead of a spirit of sorrow, there will be a spirit of joy and gladness. I've had a lot of things stolen from me and it's coming back. That's the shift this year. The second shift we talked about was in John 4 where there's a story of the... the, uh, the influential man that comes to Jesus and says, my son is dying, and Jesus speaks a word and the son lives. And I say that the second shift is there is a revival of the revelation of sonship in the body of Christ. When Jesus came to earth, he came to restore the revelation of sonship, and that's both for men and women. Sonship is not about men, it's about a relationship with a father. And he says that when I go back to the Father, you'll not need to pray or go through me anymore. You'll be able to pray directly to the Father in my name. And I said the name of Jesus is not, not, a, 
not a tagline we use. It's a relational understanding. So when I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray as a son. Are you hearing me? And he's, everything he did on earth was to restore our relationship. So the spirit of God that was released when Jesus went to heaven is a spirit of sonship. When I look at the Father, I see his joy over Jesus. When I look at Jesus, I see the privilege of being loved by a Father. And the more we begin to understand sonship, the more we'll become secure in love. And don't we need that today? Yeah. See, it, Jesus said, you'll endure much tribulation in the world. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And who is the I? It's the Son. Sonship overcomes the world. See, the way to overcome tribulation is to be grounded in sonship. When you know that you have a Father in heaven that is madly in love with you and is with you to the end of the age, you will overcome every tribulation. Sonship is being restored to the body of Christ. Anyone say amen to that? The third thing we said there was a in John 5 is the story of the man stuck for 38 years in the same condition. And I said to you that he was, he was uh, positioned right at the gates going into Jerusalem. And it's a picture of unconditional access into the kingdom of God. But he's waiting for a miracle. He's waiting for someone to bring change to his life. He doesn't realize how powerful he truly is. And that's another shift that's happening to the body. Instead of being stuck right at the entry point to the kingdom, this is a season where all of the kingdom is being accessed by you and I. We're beginning to discover that it's not just the preacher at the front, but everybody in the congregation are powerful people. We have all access to the same kingdom, and we're about to milk the kingdom dry. Amen? Amen? Unconditional access. He says, all that I have is yours. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be short in any area of my life. This man was stuck in a rut, and Jesus says, do you want to be well? Rise up and walk. And he says that to you today. You don't need to stand on the, on the sidelines. This is your opportunity. This is your day. Access the kingdom. The fourth thing we said was the man who was born blind. Jesus spat on the ground, made a mud ball, whacked it in his eyes and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is meaning sent. And I said to you, that a lot of people have been blind to their holy assignment. The word sent is the same word as apostle. And, and we said that there's an apostolic anointing coming to the body of Christ. It doesn't mean we're all apostles, but it means that we all carry a sent anointing. When the Holy Spirit came to earth, he came with a sending anointing. And when he fills the body of Christ, there is this conviction that I was born for a purpose and God has sent me to make a difference in the world. Does anyone believe that? It's an apostolic sending, and there's an assignment for you. And I said to you that many people measure their assignment by their ability, and that's a fatal flaw. Because the Bible says that God gave the parable, Jesus says, of a man having five talents, two and one. And the man that had five talents, the Bible said, had a ten-talent assignment. And you measure your assignment, your calling, by your abilities, and that is a mistake. You never measure your assignment by your abilities because your abilities are just a starting place. For this five-talent man had a ten-talent assignment. And this man, this blind man, he was measuring his life by his disability 
and his ability, not by God's assignment for his life. And when God washed his eyes, he began to get a vision for his assignment. And some of you here today, you're looking at your ability and you're using that to measure your assignment. And God's saying, I've got an assignment for you that's much greater than your ability. Because if you give me your ability and you match it with my assignment, you watch what I do. Jeremiah said, Lord, I can't go. I can't speak. See, he was measuring the assignment by his ability. And some of you said to God, I, I, I can't pray, I can't, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't, I can't, I can't. And Jesus is about to wash your eyes and give you a holy assignment. He's wanting to send the body. He's wanting to mobilize the body of Christ out into a world that needs Jesus, to take the seven mountains of society. He's mobilizing us to give us understanding that there is a holy assignment. Jesus still thinks that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if only we could catch a hold of the greatness of his assignment. I look out the window of my house over the, over the suburbs. I can see vast areas and I say, Lord, this city belongs to you. Thank you for an assignment that is much greater than my ability. How great is your assignment today? How big is it? We allow God to stretch it. Anybody here wanting a stretched assignment? Anybody willing to let their abilities uh, take second place and say, God, show me your assignment. Send me. See, the Holy Spirit within you is a sending spirit. He wants out. He wants to thrust you into realms that are way beyond your ability. Let's do the last shift. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany means house of discouragement and misery. Imagine growing up in that place. Some of you visited that town, haven't you? The town of Mary and Martha. It was this Mary who anointed Jesus with oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. So we're setting the scene here that there's an amazing relationship between these three and Jesus and vice versa. Do you get that? Right. And when Jesus heard that he was that this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. But it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God would be glorified through this. There are many things in our life that are dead. And Jesus is saying, those things that are dead in your life, they will not end in death. I know in my life there are things that for one reason or another, by pain, misunderstanding, conflict, the war of the enemy, things that have died in my life. And Jesus says, it will not end in death. Things may be dead, but they will not end in death. Did you hear me? Does anyone hear me? There are things in your life that are dead as a dodo, but they will not end in death. There are things in your life that are dead right now. But Jesus is saying, that's okay, I've been to the end. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not going to end in death. 
that it may be dead now, but I've been to the end and it won't end in death. But it will be for the glory of God. And I want you to know today that some of the things that are dead in your life that seem hopeless, God will get the glory. See, God, this story, as you unpack it, this story is about the timings and the delays of God, things that are out of our understanding. We don't know what's going on. And God is saying, in your story, I am going to get maximum glory. Are you hearing me? In your story, I am about to pour out maximum glory. And, and you need to understand the purpose of your story is that God would receive maximum glory. And when we get a revelation of that, we begin to understand the timings and the delays and the conflict that is going on in our life that God, in his love, is positioning our story to bring him amazing glory. For that is why we live. We live that Father in heaven would be glorified by all of society. They will look at your life and they will give glory to him. It's a paradigm shift. And that the Son of God will be glorified through it. See, not only is God going to get glory, but maximum glory is going to be in your life in this story. There's something about to happen in your life. The things that have been dead, God's going to get glory through that and there's going to be such glory in your life. God always sees to it that if you position yourself to understand that the ways of God, that glory will flow through your life in the deepest pain, in death, you will see glory manifested. And the delays of God are only there to maximize glory in my life. They better be for some reason. And Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. He was not playing games with them. But you watch at the end of the story in John chapter 12, there is so much glory on Lazarus that people are coming to the Father, not just because of Jesus, but now because of Lazarus. And they don't just want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus as well. There is such glory resting on his life. And I'm here, I heard the voice of the Spirit say to me this week, there's going to be maximum glory in your story. There is a glory coming to your story, a glory that is, that, is, that is overwhelming. God is about to do something in your story. It looks like it's dead, but it will not end in death. There is a glory about to be released over our lives very soon. There's a shift coming. Does that excite anybody? Resurrection. This whole passage is about the resurrection power of Jesus coming to every dead thing in our life. There's an unveiling about to happen here in this story. Lazarus' physical condition was a spiritual picture of what was happening in the town, but also because... Mary and Martha had lived in that town even though they loved Jesus. They had picked up things from that environment. And we all live in a fallen world and we love Jesus, but we pick up 
at times unbelief in our heart, an offense in our heart. And Jesus is about to do a number on that. He's about to resurrect. He's about to speak into those areas that are dead because of unbelief and offense. And he's going to speak a word. If we will roll away the stone of unbelief and offense, he will speak a word that brings resurrection life. And some of you today have come and God's going to speak resurrection life to you. He's going to revive that which was dead. It may be dead now, but it's not going to end in death. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that they were dead, sorry, they were sick, he was sick. Jesus put his feet up, ordered a cappuccino, put the cricket on and stayed two more days. It's an amazing verse, that, isn't it? <laughs> and we often have that attitude with Jesus, you know, these delays are signs of your indifference. But delays are really the birthing place of the word of the Lord. Father is meticulous in his timing, and this whole chapter is about the timings of God that he comes at the right time to resurrect things in our life. And somehow as he does that, he reverses everything the enemy has done and brings maximum glory to his name and to our lives as well. That's the timings of God. In John 11 verse 17, it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's a long time dead. And I thought about this whole concept of being in the tomb for four days, four days, four days. Why did he wait four days? The timings of God are impeccable. Nothing's by chance. Everything is so strategic by God. The timings, it says in Daniel that God controls the times and the seasons. He raises up kings and lowers them. He is the one who's meticulous in his timing. And he waits four days and he comes in on the scene. But as you study the scripture, this number four, or the fourth day, is so interesting to see as God intervenes in times where it seems like everything's gone wrong. And he comes and he shows himself strong and he raises up great and mighty men. Think of this in Daniel 3.23. There were three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And they were bound in the midst of a fiery furnace. And the king was astonished and he got up and he said to his uh, counsellors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? And they answered, Yes, Lord. And he said, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, hurt. And the form of the fourth. Say this. The form, the form. Of, the fourth of the fourth is like the Son of God. See, the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The Son of God comes in the fourth 
and he comes in the midst of the fire to do a work that will bring him maximum glory. It looked like everything was finished. They were in the fire. They were dead, but the end wasn't going to end in death. They were in the fire and everything was out of control. But Jesus always comes in the fourth, the fourth hour, the fourth day, and he comes and he breathes life. And this whole story is an unpacking that the timings of God are impeccable. And he comes to save the sons and the daughters of God and release amazing glory. And it's bigger than just our story. It's going to affect the king and the nations. And it looks like God's left us. But he's saying, if you would just hang on, if you would allow your faith to understand that I would never leave you or forsake you, it might be the pressure's on, the fire is great. But in the midst of that, you will see me come. I will be the fourth man that says the form of the fourth is like the son of God. We are living prophetically in the fourth age or the fourth watch of the church age. It's a time of visitation. Didn't Jesus come walking on the water in the fourth watch? The storm was, was bad. They'd gone out on a holy mission doing the will of the Lord and all of a sudden they'd met conflict and we thought it was going to be easy. You told us to plant a church. You told me to start a business. You told me to step out in faith and I'm doing that and all hell's breaking loose. And Jesus comes, perfect timing, the fourth watch. He comes walking on the water. See, the disciples had let the storm get inside them. Mary and Martha had let the storm get inside them. Instead of keeping their eyes on him, understanding that even though I can't see him right now, I know that he is here. The disciples let the storm get inside them in this storm situation. And they didn't recognize that Jesus was coming to them in a deeper dimension than what they were used to. And some of you have been in storms, you're in storms now, and you think Jesus is not there. I'm saying he is there. He is just there in a deeper dimension than you've ever known him before. That's why he, he changes his forms. He comes to the, to the men walking on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize his form because he's come in a deeper form. He's come in a new dimension. And and it's not that he's forsaken you. He's just there in a different form. And the disciples like Mary and Martha sat in the boat and they got offended because Jesus wasn't there. See, they didn't have this revelation that Jesus is with me in all of life. Mary and Martha had allowed Bethany the, the attitude of offense and misery just to define who Jesus was. And just because he wasn't there in the flesh doesn't mean that his word hadn't gone before them and done their request. They just couldn't see it. They couldn't experience it. So they were offended because Jesus wasn't seen in the form that they were after. If you had been here in the flesh, everything would have been all right. He was there in the flesh. His word is his flesh. And he spoke the word and it was good as him being there. It was a different form. And some of you are in storms right now and you can't see that Jesus is there. I'm saying he's about to give you new understanding that he has been with you all the time. Revelation or rejection, you get to choose. Every day, will I believe that God will come to me in a form, some form, every day of my life? Or will I live out of rejection? Mary and Martha were living out of rejection. And this is the thing. If you look 
live out a revelation. If you have a belief in your heart, no matter where I am, if I make my bed in hell or if I'm up in heaven, David said that nowhere I can go that your presence won't be. Everywhere I am, you are there. If that is the revelation belief system of your life, if you live out a revelation, you will see Jesus coming walking on the water. If you live out a rejection, you'll turn him into a ghost. And fear will be the dominant force of your life, like it was for them. You see, the devil responds to you and I with one thing. He provides storms, resistance, fear, death, discouragement. But the storm becomes the means of you discovering that we were meant to walk on water. We were meant to... to, to rise up. God is not leaving you in your storm. He's with you. And Mary and Martha had, had been so impacted by their world around them. that and, and see, we're the same. We don't realize that the more we go on in life, we begin to pick up a spirit of unbelief and offense in our life. And I know that the Lord has said to me, I want to do something fresh and new on this planet. But the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to heal the hearts of my people. Before we see great resurrection power, there's going to come a healing of our hearts. He's doing that right now. Resurrection power is coming to your heart today. So John 11, verse 7. Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So he said to his disciples, Lazarus, he knows he's sick. So he says, all right, we're going to go to Judea. And they said, Lord, the Jews have sought to stone you and you're going there again. You want to go into this place of misery and do a miracle? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble or trip. 12 was the number of rulership and governing. And the only way that you can govern and rule in life is to walk in the revelation of the goodness of God. They're saying, God, Jesus, if you go into that place, you're going to pick up their offense. You're going you're to trip up. See, uh, Thomas said, let us go that we may die with him. It's the strangest verse in all of the Bible. And I've, I wrote about it in my first book. The reason he said that was because he was a twin. Thomas Didymus, the twin. And twins, one of the things about twins, they have a very poor self-esteem, some of them, because they don't know which one they are. And so because of his lack of identity, he would succumb to the controlling spirit of any area he went. We see that later on when, when, he's, when Jesus is resurrected, and he won't believe that Jesus is resurrected unless he sees with his own eyes. Did he come for me? Everyone else saw him, but unless I see him with my own eyes, I won't believe. But Jesus is saying, I can go into any place where the enemy's working, because I operate out of the light, out of the revelation of the goodness of God in every circumstance. He said there's 12 hours in the day, and I rule and lead out of revelation light. And the power, what gives you authority over the works of the enemy, is the revelation of the goodness of God towards you in all of life. You won't trip up. See, the enemy is tripping up God's people all the time. He comes and he whispers accusations. If he was good, 
He would have stopped that, that from dying. If he was truly good, he would have done that and that and that. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he's the accuser of God to the brethren. He's, right now, he's whispering right across the planet, God cannot be trusted. His word is not true. And Jesus said, I can go into there because I walk in the light. I won't be tripped up. See, here's the thing about unbelief an offense. I've got a cure for it. Do you want to hear? Yeah. It's so simple. And Jesus walked in the fullness of the measure of the Spirit of God, did he not? And Jude chapter 20 says, it says that we are to build ourselves up in the most holy... I'll try it again. Jude chapter 1 verse 20 says, we are to build ourselves up in the most holy... Faith. The word's faith. So let's try it again. You are to build yourself up in the most holy... Well done. You knew that verse. Praying in the Holy Ghost. And it says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. See, when you pray in the Spirit, you build up your faith. It crushes unbelief. And the other thing it does, it keeps you in the love of God. You have a responsibility to keep your faith alive. We read the word and we pray in the spirit. But the thing that keeps our heart connected to the love of God, when I pray in the spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes from the side of the Father, who knows the heart of the Father, begins to minister the heart of the Father to the sons. And as you pray in the Spirit, it builds up your faith, but it keeps you in the love of God. And because Jesus was full of the Spirit, he could walk into any place that contradicted natural sense and not be tripped over by it. Everything could defy natural logic, and Jesus wasn't moved because he was established in sonship and full of the Spirit. Amen. Are you hearing me? And I'm saying you can walk into situations that defy natural logic, that scream, God is not here. But when you are full of the Holy Ghost, there will be a holy faith and a heart connection of love to God that will break every circumstance that defies the knowledge of God. And that's what God is raising up. He's breathing resurrection power into those places of the dead where, where, where I've got death in my life because of unbelief. I've no longer got a faith reach for that in my life. Resurrection power comes and he begins to revive that. And then we sustain it by praying in the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus could go in with great boldness. Verse 20. So he comes to Martha. Martha, Martha. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I'm really ticked off. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Oh, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? Lord, whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, okay. Let's do it right now. He said, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. You see, her faith was a future faith. 
And in that environment, her faith had been damaged and now she's putting off all the miracle working power of God to change a city, a nation, my family into the sweet by and by. See, the church has done that. The rapture theory is that all of the world will be redeemed when Jesus comes and takes over the planet. But while we're here, there's no hope. It's going to get darker and darker. There's little faith reach in the body of Christ to change a city. And Jesus comes and says, Martha, do you believe that I am able to resurrect that which is dead? The hope for this city, which by and large is dead in the church. We truly don't believe that God could change a city, that he could take over government and education and the kingdom of God could rule and reign in that, in the business realm, that Jesus would be established as Lord. And, and there's not a faith reach anymore. And Jesus is coming saying, I want to speak life into that. Martha, do you believe? She says, Year after the rapture, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though this stuff did in you, it's going to live again. Let me breathe into the areas that are dead in your life where there's no longer a faith reach. Areas that you've stopped believing in. Maybe 20 years ago, you believed in that and it didn't work out. And you've allowed unbelief. It's a spirit of unbelief that comes up and, and cripples your heart. And Jesus said, I want that. I don't want you just to believe in me when you die and go to heaven. I want to, I want to instill great faith in you right now. I want to breathe resurrection life so when you wake up in the morning, you say, Father, what shall we believe for today? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming to the world. I've read that verse and thought, huh? He's not even talking about that. He's saying... Do you believe that I am the resurrection, the life, that I'm able to heal, raise up your brother right now? And he, she says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming to the world. I think, this is my theory, and you might have your own theory, I think she has no idea what he's talking about. I think he's up such a high level, and she's down here, she's grasp, grasping with things on a human level, and he's up here. And he's inviting her to allow her faith to reach up into his. But you know, that's okay. Because as I read this, I see Martha's heart beginning to change. She says, Lord, I have no idea what you are on about, but I choose to believe in you. It's down here, but I begin to believe. I believe you're the Messiah that's coming to the world. I know my faith. You know, Lord... Here's my faith. Help the areas of unbelief speak into this realm. I know that you see things in such a greater realm, but I bring you my little baby faith. Breathe on it. Resurrection life. And that's okay today. You may not have a faith reach for a whole city, but Jesus is saying, let me breathe resurrection life into every area of unbelief. Would you do that today? Would you let him speak into your heart and breathe resurrection life? Would you take away the stone that's covered those areas of unbelief where you've stopped believing for miracles? Those books that you used to read about miracles, signs and wonders and you've put them up on the shelf and you've never opened them again because you prayed for the sick and nothing happened. So you put it away and said, for another person, another time. And he's saying, I want to breathe on that again. 
I want to breathe into those realms of unbelief that you know that they're there, but you've got hidden and they stink. And they're, they're areas that, that you're afraid of. And Jesus said, I want to come in and I want to speak resurrection life. Would you do that today? The areas of unbelief in your heart where you don't have a faith reach anymore, where you truly don't believe that God could do it right now? Would you let him speak resurrection life to every area? So you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I believe. I believe afresh today. Oh, I'm like a little child. I believe that you can do it. It's not dead. It's, it's not over. It's not the end. Yes, maybe I've had a few setbacks and things have died, but I believe it's, it won't end in death. I believe that you and I are going to see the glory of the Lord and all that's happened will be for your glory. People will wonder, how could God work through a person that failed over and over again? My life will bring you glory. My story will bring you glory. One who failed and failed and failed, but resurrection life came to me and it transformed my life. Will you let him speak into your unbelief today? Will you bring up your unbelief and say, Lord, it's dead, but I know it's not going to end in death. Speak, speak into those areas of unbelief. Listen to this. Jews get buried twice. It's amazing. They get their body, they wrap it up, and they whack it in a tomb for a year until all the flesh decomposes. Then they come in, they pull out the bones, they put the bones in a box, and they put the box into a family tomb. It may be dead, but it won't end in death. See, you think those things are dead in your life, but I'm here to tell you that Lazarus was dead four days, but there was still form and flesh on him. It may not be breathing, but there's shape and form. You think it's dead, but it won't end in death. In fact, God sees there's still life. God sees what you... And you think, I could never believe again. I've been so hurt and wounded. I've trusted in God. And, and, and it's just too hard. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I walk up and down in my room and I say, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Every area of unbelief in my life where I had a faith reach in my 20s, I believe for great things and things have not worked out. And so I've become disappointed and there's unbelief in my heart. Jesus, speak into the tomb of my heart. I roll away the stone. I say, speak to me, Lord. Speak life, resurrection life. And do you know, as I do that, I feel something starting to come alive. Amen. I see a Lazarus coming out. He may be wrapped up, but I see him beginning to move. And do you know what? As Jesus speaks resurrection to you, there's going to be a movement inside you as well. Amen. Do you know there's a movement inside you? Resurrection power comes and brings movement and life. Some people haven't moved in a long time. Verse 30, he comes. It says, now Jesus was not yet in town, but he was in the place where Martha met him. Verse 32 and he came to Mary. So, sorry, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down. It's an act of worship. She, see, Martha stood up, but Mary comes and she bows down before Jesus. And in worship, she's saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think she came and submitted. Like Martha, she submits her unbelief to Jesus. Mary comes and she submits. See, Martha is, is the one that submits her faith 
Mary is the one that, she's a feeler. She submits her pain to him. The Hebrew word for Mary is actually, comes from the word Miriam. And the Hebrew word for Mary is rebellion, bitterness, and contradiction. Her name is derived from Miriam. And I thought back to the name Miriam, and you may have remembered that I spoke about Miriam and Moses and bitterness. And in the pain of delay, when things don't make sense, we can allow unbelief to come in, but we can also allow bitterness and offense to come in. And I'm going after this today because I know that God wants to heal the hearts of his people so glory can be given to him and glory can flow through us. But when the tomb is shut, there can be no resurrection. And he knows that there's things in my life and yours that stink. They have no life in them. They're rotting. And he comes to Mary and he's dealing with the pain of disappointment and bitterness that she's accumulated in her heart. She's bowing before him. The contradictions, the rebellion, the bitterness towards Jesus. She's saying, Lord, I don't want to feel like this. I love you and I know you love me. But there's this stuff inside me that's making me feel so cross and angry and bitter. And I need you to speak resurrection life into it. Does anyone relate to that? Has anyone ever felt like that with God? You remember when I told you the story of Israel, and I don't always like to repeat, but Peter said it's good to remind people. So if it's good for the Apostle Peter, it's good for me, because we forget. But, but I said to you that when Israel was being brought out of Egypt, the thing that they had to battle with was a bitter spirit. And when they were leaving, God made them eat of the bitter herbs because he was saying, I know that there's bitterness inside you and I want to heal that. And they never dealt with the bitterness that was accumulated generation to generation. And do you know what? You can take on your father's and your mother's and your grandfather's bitterness towards God and the church. You meet people that come in to the, the congregation or the body of Christ and you wonder where is all this accumulated bitterness come from? Generations of disappointment, wrong interpretation of what God was doing and it gets installed from one generation to another. And so a whole bunch of slaves are coming out of Egypt into the promised land carrying bitterness in their heart towards their deliverer. They wrongly interpreted their pain and when we do that, bitter experiences left undefined drive us away from God and they connect us with a whole bunch of idols. So, and, and I've talked to you about that, that when you don't deal with bitterness towards God, you will not be able to enjoy a love relationship with him. It'll be a distant relationship, a bit like a man and a wife. You know, when you have those steamy moments and you don't talk for a day, of course, you'd never do that. But for those that do do that, where there might be an, oh, maybe an hour or 10 minutes or a minute, and it's a little bit frosty. You know, you still love each other, but you're, you're sort of keeping to yourself in separate rooms for a day or two. You know, that's why you have two TVs in a house. Is this not... No one's ever done that. They've never had a crossword. And what happens when we have a frosty relationship with God? We turn to idols because we need something to nurture us. And they overpromise and underdeliver. Remember, I said that if you feel unloved and neglected by God in a moment in time and you don't define that moment according to the mind of Christ and the love of the Father, then your hearts will wander because of the pain and attach themselves to idols. Remember I said that? 
That if there's a moment in your life that you don't define, if you're in pain like Mary was, and you don't define that pain according to the mind of Christ, what was God doing, and the heart of the Father emotionally, if you don't define those things, you will run to idols in the midst of your pain. Here's what God said to me, Andrew, you've got to refuse to give the devil license in your life to define every painful moment you encounter. Should I say that again? You've got to refuse to give the devil the license to define the painful moments in your life. See, Mary allowed the devil to define what was happening with Lazarus. I refuse to allow you to rob my story of glory. Did you hear me? You've got to say that to the devil in painful moments. You are not the author of my story. You will not define this painful moment. You will not rob me of the glory of my story. Are you hearing me today? Your story has great glory on it. And the enemy wants to come in. I heard the Lord say, he wants to be the author of your story. He wants to write in your book, how God let you down, you know, edition number one by Andrew McGrath. Here's the 10 ways how God can't be trusted. The devil will write the story if you allow him. And Israel let the devil write the story of 400 years of pain, how God can't be trusted. And you know what happened, that the first thing that Miriam, who is Mary, did as they crossed the Red Sea, she picked up a tambourine, electric guitar, a harmonica, and they began to sing a song unto the Lord because worship redefines the moments of pain. It redefines, it says, God... You are good. And then we go back to those emotional times of pain and worship begins to heal our heart. Because worship combines emotion with truth. It does a whammy on the devil. And, and, and this is what Mary did. She bowed down before Jesus. I've got all this pain, this misunderstanding. I don't know what you're doing, but I worship you, Jesus, in my pain. And as you begin to worship God over every painful memory, over all the delays of God, as you worship him, he begins to redefine his story in your life and he's going to bring maximum glory. Peter, uh, sorry, Paul and Silas, Paul and someone in jail. Who, Silas? Somebody help me. In jail, singing songs to redefine the purpose of the jail. Maximum glory in their story. The jail burst open. They could have hung up their harps and began to sing Kumbaya. Oh, how God has left me. But they were singing songs of praise. The song of Miriam was a gift from God to redefine the pain of Israel so they could move forward into their promised land. And I'm saying to you today, you will not move forward into the promises of God, the glory of your story, until you allow God to heal unbelief and the pain that's in your life. You see, you will be stuck like that man for 38 years. These five shifts are all interconnected. This man was stuck. And Jesus said, you are healed Go and sin no more, lest your condition be worse than what it was in the beginning. What was his condition? He was offended at God for not moving in his world when God was always there. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says that we are called to fellowship with the sufferings of Christ 
So the resurrection power of God will be manifested. God has never said to you that you won't go through a storm. He's never said that everything's going to be rosy, that everything's going to be perfect, that you'll have no challenges, that every day you'll wake up, there'll be angels dancing on your roof. They'll come in, they'll bring you fresh manna from heaven. Every obstacle will be way low. There'll never be any sickness or, or problems or, or any financial challenges. Your life will be a breeze. There is a place for that. It's called heaven. But here on earth, he says, you will fellowship with my sufferings. There is an eternal struggle. Sorry, there is a struggle here on earth between the force of light and darkness, like we see in Bethany, where the enemy wants to come and rule. And there's tension and contradictions. But the amazing thing, we get one opportunity in all of eternity to thrive in our sufferings and bring glory to God. In heaven, you cannot bring God glory like on earth. There is no contradiction in heaven. That's why praise is so powerful on earth. Because we say, even though I can't see, I choose to believe in the goodness of God. And that is such a powerful force in the heart of the Father. That brings him pleasure. Where you defy contradiction and say, I choose to believe. I I bring my pain to you, even though I don't understand why I'm in this pain. I will sing songs to you, Lord, and your resurrection power will come to my pain and make me whole. That is powerful, my friend. You can't do that in heaven, but you can do it here on earth. And I tell you what, God is raising up a body of believers that are, that are invincible. They will go. I see them marching through storms and contradictions and their faces are full of joy and praise. Yes, they will weep. They will have hard times, but their affections will be undeniably on Father and the Son. They will be fixed, mature. See, all of earth is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who have that conviction that Jesus said, even if I go into hell, I know that you won't forsake me. I know that you're with me. And that's why I teach people wherever I go, the fallacy that God would ever turn his back on the Son. You know, you've heard it before with Jesus on the cross, that God turned his back because he couldn't look at sin. That was the very moment that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He would never forsake the Son. Jesus quoted from Psalm 24, and that psalm says that God says, I will not turn my face from you. We quote part of the psalm because Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's, he was taking on the sin of the world. That is the lie from the devil that says, in the midst of your pain and your sin, God can't be found. But Hebrews says, I will not ever leave you or forsake you. I will not, I will not leave you. We are getting a conviction in the midst of our storm and pain that God is with us. And when that happens, resurrection life flows. And I love my father because he speaks into every area of unbelief and every area of offense and he brings resurrection life. And he has a way of healing my heart like no one else. He is the master healer. And so where there's areas of unbelief and offense today, let resurrection life come. Will you do that? We roll away the stone and say, here I am. Speak, Lord. You may be dead, but it's not going to end in death. It may have been tough. It may be things have, have been crushed, but it's not the end. Because God is the end.